0: Open our lips, O Lord, that our mouths might proclaim your praise. Amen. Amen. Galen, my sister, you are to serve all people, particularly the poor, the weak, the sick, and the lonely. You are to make Christ and Christ's redemptive love known by your word and example. And you are to interpret to the church the needs and concerns and the hopes of the world. That's the role of the deacon, and in a few minutes, if I don't preach too long, you'll get to take those vows. (laughs) You will vow to serve the poor, the weak, the sick, and those in need, to make Christ's redemptive love known, and to interpret to the church the needs and concerns and the hopes of the world. And what I'd like to ponder for a few moments first is making known the redemptive love of Christ because then the other ones might make some sense and might have some integrity if we start there. Because in these vows, there's a lot of to-dos. And in Jesus, there's a lot of be. Being. I mean, what do we see in Jesus? Do we see Jesus as someone who goes around making people feel better, doing stuff for people? And in fact, no. No. We don't. How many times in the gospel do we instead hear Jesus say, go because your faith has made you well, not me. I've been present with you. We've had an encounter, but I haven't done anything. You, it's, it's what's within you that's made you well. Jesus, it seems, is really good at just hanging around with people. I mean, some folks say that, Jesus really just ate his way through the Gospels. Let's go have dinner. I'm coming to your house. Let's go sit down here and talk. Because what he seems to do is in his being with people, he's really good at just either in his presence or in his voice to just name what's in them already and to remind them who they are already. And in so many words saying to them, forget what you've been telling yourself about how you really don't measure up or you are not worthy of God. Forget what you've allowed your community and your village to tell you about how you fall short. Remember who you are. Remember who God sees you as. A fully beloved human being. A human being fully worthy of the love of God and the love of this world and a human being fully capable of living life. That's who you are. He seemed to just pull that out of folks when he's around them. He's not doing it. He's just reminding them. And as I listened to the Jeremiah reading that you chose, I realized he's just riffing on Jeremiah. I mean, think about it. Jeremiah, what is Jeremiah saying? Look, I knew you before you were even born. Well, of course, if God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being, if God is the one from whom our DNA structure comes, well, of course God would know us because there's never been a time that God wouldn't know God's self. To say, I consecrated you is really almost redundant because if God is sacred and we come from the genetic reality of God, then there's, that's redundant. We're sacred. We're consecrated. And when Jeremiah says, you know, I'm just a child, and God says, would you just please be quiet? Did I not make you? Are you not capable? Is there a problem with that? So all Jesus is doing is remembering the people he cut his teeth on and saying, remember what we were taught growing up? Remember what we heard from Jeremiah? Who we are, who you are, who every human being is? So let's get rid of this nonsense that somehow we're not enough. Jesus doesn't just do that to the individuals he hangs around with. He's really good at naming it to the communities too, saying to the communities, you too need to forget what you've decided about these people. You too need to let go of the stories and the narratives you've heard from your parents and your history books and those things because they really aren't helpful. Everybody, that's ever been born and ever will be born, is a fully loved, fully capable human being, period. But it seems like that's not the only reason that Jesus hangs around people. It seems that Jesus hangs around people not only to help name, but Jesus hangs around people so that others can name to him when he has lost his mind. I mean, how else do we understand the story of the Canaanite woman? How else do we understand it? But to her saying, forget what you have been told about me. Forget what you've been told about how you're better than me. Forget what you've been told about my and my people's capabilities or lack thereof. And remember who you are, Jesus. And remember who God is. And remember that you, Jesus, are fully capable in this moment when it comes to my daughter of either bringing life or continuing hell. And it's your choice, Jesus. She, in his hanging around with her, reminds him who he is and who she is and calls him back to that remembrance. It goes both ways. And so how does Jesus manifest the redemptive love of God? By hanging around people. Because it seems that Jesus knows that when we gather, and the more we gather, and the more people we gather, the more we're capable of seeing our connectedness and remembering who we are and pulling that forth from one another. Taking care of the poor and the hungry, does Jesus... Take care of the hungry? Does Jesus serve the hungry? What I notice is that Jesus never sets up a food line. Think about the story. He doesn't say, oh gosh, let's see what we can find. What does Jesus say? He looks to the crowd and he says, what do you have? And now how are we all going to eat? Because Jesus isn't into charity. Jesus is into just relationships. Relationships. And so he's not letting us off the hook and saying, okay, don't worry, I'll take care of it, or I'll get a couple of folks and they'll take care of it. He's saying, what is it all that is in our midst, and now how is it available for all of us? Remember who you are. Don't get into charity, but be just. Jesus being with people so that things can be named. Because when we're with people, then we're able to listen to each other and truly hear the concerns of other people rather than supposing we know what they are and we're here to help you. When we listen to each other, when we are sitting with each other, then we have the chance to see the capacity of each other rather than supposing we know what people's capacities are or their incapacities. Jesus does not serve people by doing for them but by being with them. And that's how he participates in the redemptive love of God, naming and calling forth what's already here. And the thing is, Galen and all of us, that's a lot more messy. It demands a whole lot more time and energy. It demands a whole lot more of me to pay attention and to be present and to see other people. And what typically happens is when Jesus and the Spirit gets us long enough to sit with other people, one of the truths is it really messes with us, because then we have to take all that stuff that we've taught and been taught and have taught and thought, this is how it works, and we go, what do I do now? Because the very thing I've built my life on, the very thing our faith community has built its life on, doesn't seem to stand up with these folks. It's messy, and it will mess with us to be with other people. You know, right now in America, we are mainlining charity. I mean, think about it. From Thanksgiving to Christmas, how many ads right now about food and toys? And really, it's like mainlining. We might as well be putting it up our nose or in our vein. If that's too crass for you, hold on to it for a bit. Because what we're doing is we're saying, It's important for me, think about how many times you hear this, it's important for me to give back. And I'm thinking, give back what? Where did that come from? And none of the posters right now from Thanksgiving to Christmas are saying, so where did that food come from? And why in America in 2018 are we still collecting toys and food? Why are we not saying from Thanksgiving to Christmas, why the heck do we need to be collecting these things and let them serve as an icon not of our graciousness, but of the fact that we haven't figured out how to be with each other. How is it that we understand that our charity is killing us? And the reason I call it a narcotic is because, apparently, when we give, it excites the part of our brain that is excited when we have spiritual experiences. That's why cocaine makes people feel like they're out a high because it's exciting the same part of the brain. And when we give in charity, it's lighten up that part of our brain that God is wired to say, do you know how you will live? By being in a self-emptying, self-offering place. But rather than challenging the charity, we just settle for, this kind of makes me feel good, but the problem with it is then, like a narcotic, it wears off. So now we got to do more. We gotta have another food drive. And doesn't it feel good when we collect all that food? Didn't practice that one in front of my wife. (laughs) And the problem that we as faith communities are having is that books have come out like The Alternative and Toxic Charity, and they're showing how our Christian charity, our church outreach funds, are actually not helping break poverty in America. They are not helping to break racial separation and economic separation. In fact, they're supporting them and decades and generations of our work. And I'm sitting here looking at this with all these faithful folks from All Souls and our outreach grant program, and we're going, what do we do? Because everything we thought was helping is actually not only not helping. The statistics in our city schools, let alone your city schools, are showing that a lot of good-hearted Christian people have been working hard at this for decades and generations. And it's not changing. So how do we get mature enough to be with people? And where are the Canaanite people we need to be listening to? That's what I'm hearing Jesus say. And I'll tell you, it's messing with my world. I've said to some folks recently, I'm a 62-year-old white man. I'm straight with two kids. It should be working for me, right? Yeah. That's what America said. Anyway, if you don't understand that one, go back to the sniffing one. and what jesus is calling you to galen and calling all of us to is to think when we see the giving to try to resist the narcoticizing of it and say how do we lurk how do we work and see the structures and that's generational work that's messier and it's a lot harder than collecting cans but jesus never took on something simple Because Jesus understands that the true part of our brain that will get lit up in the best way is when we are in relationships of justice rather than charity. What do we have here? Now, how does everybody get fed? It's in you to figure that one out. So my sister, it's very tempting right here. In our robes and in our stoles and sashes, you're going to get one of the sashes in a minute, you know. With all these things that symbolize positions and, let's face it, power. I mean, they came from Rome. Even in the church, we're copying. And we could stand tall in the sense that we are Jesus' representatives in the world. Doggone, that's pretty good. We are called to bring the redemptive love of Christ to the world. Ooh, that's pretty good. To take care of the needs of the world and to serve the poor. That's pretty heady stuff. And let's face it, ordained folks, the swag is pretty good, I mean, you know. But basically what I think God's calling you to and us to is to be like Jesus. Simply to hang out with people and to be present with people and let them name to us every bit as much, if not more, as us naming to them. To be like Jesus, who empties himself rather than stay in the safety of all that worked for God. It all worked for God. God didn't need to empty to be with us. But somehow God knew that God would not know the fullness of what life is without the experience of hanging with human beings. And so Jesus empties himself to be with people and to bump into the Canaanite woman. Hang out listen, see what's here in all of us. So there is maybe one particular thing you can do that helps us with this naming of the redemptive love of God. When we talk about the concerns of the world, one particular thing you can do is to remind us when we have lost our minds. Like Jesus with the woman. Remind us when we've forgotten Jeremiah. Remind us when we've forgotten Jesus and remind us when we've forgotten the Canaanite woman. Tell us when we have forgotten the inherent dignity, capability of every human being. Remind us that following Christ is messy business, and it will mess with everything we think we know. Remind us also of what Peter said in John's Gospel when Jesus is talking about, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood and half the people leave, and then Jesus looks to those who are there and says, why aren't the rest of you leaving? If you knew what it was good for you might want to think about it. And Peter says, where else can we go? It is really frightening to walk with you, but you're the only one that we are finding these days in whose presence we feel connection. Remind us of that. Remind us we only find our life together and through death and self-emptying. And also remind us about the banquets of God and remind us about how much Jesus danced at the wedding of Cana. That's really, you know, okay, I'm sure, this is almost coming to an end. But That's really why Jesus' mama told him to do something, not because he was Jesus, because he brought his big doggone entourage and she said, son, if you're going to drink up all the wine and have a good dance, be responsible. Okay, that's for free. Let's move on. But remind us not to settle for the narcotics of charity, but instead to do the messy and frightening work of justice. Galen, you're called to remind us and let us know when we've lost our mind, to remind us of Jeremiah and Jesus and the Canaanite woman. And if you're doing that with us and we're doing that with you, then we might just sense and taste and live in the redemptive love of God.